a lot of these women are dancers and there's not much of a forum for dance in America, but especially in Dallas, Texas. If you would like to have that kind of career, it's almost maybe cruise ships. I, I, I don't even know what you would do. So, you know, think about like, like in a lot of ways, this is just a corollary to someone playing sports in high school yeah. and continue on in sports. It just so happens that that makes sense when sports is very lucrative. This is not very lucrative. But at the same time, there's not a lot of forums. Then you combine that with the insane status of 36 coveted women. As one of the 1979 movies about them said, the 36 most beautiful women in Texas. We've got a talent contest and a beauty pageant all wrapped up in one. Now, that's, and that's like, uh, I always think about like, why are women on The Bachelor? And it's like, because honestly, people just want to win. Like, you're just curious. Like, maybe I'll win. Like, people told me that. Yeah. So there's that. Then a lot of these women love football. They grew up in football family. They, not all of them are from Dallas, but most of them had dads that watched the game and where a little girl sees herself on that field is on the sidelines with those cheerleaders. And you have a dream. I mean, I had it too. I'm going to be one of them. I'm wow. going to, on some primal levels, like I'm going to matter to my dad. I'm wow. going to enter. And so many of these girls say like, I'm going to make my dad proud. Hello, everyone, and welcome to a new episode of Set Lusting Bruce, your podcast all about Bruce Springsteen, his music, and mostly his fans. I am your host, Jesse Jackson. Tonight, we're getting off the Bruce train, but he will come up as he normally does. And tonight, we are talking Dallas Cowboy cheerleaders, sobriety, uh, writing a book, exposing your inner demons, um, and we're going to talk ELO and Xanadu. Because yes. I promised Sarah we're going yes. to. Sarah Huffalo, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited. So why don't you tell my audience a little about yourself? Oh, good God. Well, I mean, I'm a writer. And I've worked in writing. That's such a vague term, right? Does What does it mean? Yeah. And for me, it's meant a lot of different things. You know, I, I started in the alternative news business with the Good Times folks at the Austin Chronicle covering entertainment uh, in the late 90s and early aughts. And I was a music editor at the Dallas Observer. In my mid-20s, I quit everything, sold everything and traveled for a year and blogged about it. So I was a blogger for a while when that was a cool thing to be. I at some point moved to New York and was a blogging for a sex, literary sex site called Nerve. I wrote video game reviews. I mean, I've just done so many different things, but, but what I ended up kind of carving out a real niche in was personal essays. Yeah. And I ran the personal essay site for an online magazine called Salon uh, from like 2006 to 2013. 
during an era when personal essays were really taking purchase uh, on the internet and in the American imagination. And thanks to clickbait and uh, a new confessional, I guess, like vibe in the country. And in 2015, I wrote a book, a memoir that was about quitting drinking. It was called Blackout. It was about why I felt, you know, how I fell in love with alcohol and why I walked away from it. I'm 11 years sober. That book was successful and I was really lucky. And I was on this sort of like, talk about your book as a professional job for about two years, more or less while doing some freelance work. And I sold a second book because I was running out of money and I didn't really know what the second book was going to be about yet, which is a terrible idea, but I did it anyway. And I needed another project to kind of float me through as I was figuring that book out. And my editor at Texas Monthly, where I was a contributor, said they were looking for someone to do a podcast. And they said, what about the Dallas Cowboys cheerleaders? And I was like, whoa, because I had been obsessed with the Dallas Cowboys cheerleaders since I was a little girl, because when I was five years old, I fell in love with this poster that's behind me. Uh, We're probably just audio only, so they can't see it, but you can. Right. And it has this ferocious redhead. Her name is Suzette Russell. Uh-huh. I could never find her for the podcast, but, um, well, I could find her, but she, didn't, she she's she, very shy. She didn't want to talk. Yeah. yeah she didn't want to talk. Um, but yeah, I fell in love with them and I felt like they had kind of like created this blueprint for beauty on my brain, but also in the American imagination, because they had ridden this huge, you know, wave of popularity throughout the late seventies and eighties. And they were one of these things that was such a part of our culture. People almost forgot that they had an origin story, almost forgot that they were kind of complicated, um, I guess, aspects of feminism tangled up in this story, by which I mean the sexualization of women, uh, the fight over pay, what women's status, where it derives from, the importance of beauty, how much we want to premise that in our value. Feminine arts brought into the gladiator arena of sports because this is a, they, these women are dancers, even though they're often referred to as rump shakers um, and, you know, like tata wavers or whatever. I don't know. That's a bad phrase, but yeah. like whatever people are, are saying is a sort of sort of dismissive, degrading thing. Um, they're actually at this point, very elite dancers. So that podcast became the hardest project of my career. I thought I was going to do it on a whim. It was like almost broke me. It took me more than a year and a full team. It's called America's Girls. It's eight parts. And I'm very proud of it. Uh, Even if it sucked, I think I'd be proud of it because I finished something that I really so badly wanted to quit. Um, But since then, also, you know, like this scandal around the Cowboys has hit. And so I've become uh, one of them. I think it's aside from being a sober person, yeah. because the, I really, really love drinking. So the idea that like I'm a spokesperson for sobriety is really wild. Yeah. But the, an even wilder plot twist in my story is that I am now kind of a sports journalist. <laughs> well, it, so what I and thought I've was. Ne- and by the yeah. way, like if this is where do we talk about passions? Yeah. I have never followed sports. Right. I grew up in, te- in Texas with a complete allergy to sports, never participated. Like the fact that I am like, go- you know, going on sports radio shows, talking about the history of the Cowboys it just blows my mind. It just blows my mind. Well, I think so. And, you know, what's a couple of things to unpack. But the first thing I want to say is, 
Yeah, um, you were on Mike Reiner's uh, podcast, and it was such a great conversation. You know, I, I I reached out to you via social media, and you said, "Hey, I'm in. Sure, I'll, I'd love to talk with you." Um, so I've done this deep dive that um, from a distance. I'm almost stalking you because, you know, I'm, I'm reading your book, I'm listening to the podcast, and I'm doing this deep dive into your creative life. And uh, the more I delve into this, the more interested I was is I, I really have a lot to talk about to Sarah about. And then my wife was like, um, you only have the one podcast tonight. Yeah, I said, but I, I don't know how long it's going to be. She goes, you're really excited about talking to her, aren't you? I go, I really am. And my wife doesn't listen to podcasts at all unless we're on a road trip. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, we'll put that on the car. And I said, we need to do a road trip soon because you would be fascinated by this uh, America's Girls. A- and the podcast is so well done. It, it, you know, the production values, the theme song, just the people you had interviewing, the way you guys told the story. It is, it is really something you should be proud of. Yeah, I am super proud of it. Um, I love all the things that you listed. Our theme song is by the Bralettes, which is a four uh, girl band from, the Dallas area. And my mother really hasn't liked pop music since the Beatles started doing drugs. Okay. She is a classical music fanatic. Yeah. And she loves that song. Oh, it's a great song. Even my mom is like, I I love this song. What is it? You know? And that's the, that's the lure of that song. And, um, it, and our production team at Texas monthly, you know, I'd never done a podcast and, I messed up all my audio equipment the first few interviews I went out on. And, and I was mm-hmm. just that like, they, they were so incredibly patient and expert, you know, our, my producer, Patrick Michaels and, and our sound engineer and producer, Brian Standifer were just so incredibly good and careful. And it was really fun to sit in on like listening sessions with them and hear the level of nuance that they were noticing in these stories that, I mean, I just don't even have that eye for it here for it yeah so and we're kind of jumping ahead of the agenda but how involved were you with the writing and direction of the podcast you know because you are the host and I call it you know I'm listening to Sarah's podcast but unless it's a unless it's a a a spare podcast like mine where I I record it, I edit it, I put it out. When you have something that is as high quality as yours, I know there's a team, but so how much involved were you in the creative process? I mean, very, but I had a ton of help. Sure. And, you know, a lot of the episodes were sketched out with my producer, Patrick Michaels. I was doing all the interviews because I was in Dallas and I kind of was the one that that had the back story. We weren't really able to send anybody else out. Right. So I did, you know, something like 50 on record interviews and probably 50 off the record. So it was just a ton yeah. of interviewing. And then what would happen is um, we'd get a transcriber. So we'd have transcriptions of those. And then I would write out a treatment of where I saw what I thought the, the episode was. 
And then Patrick would go in and kind of sketch it out, which was hugely helpful to me because I didn't know how to do that. And then I would go back to what Patrick did and like put stuff in my words or make suggestions. But I thought he had incredible instincts and he saw things that I never would have seen. Like he built, he built scenes I wouldn't have known, like little scenes of me showing up there or little, so like things that, that they might've been more invisible to me, but Patrick could hear that they were neat and that they gave the listeners some texture. Did you know what kind of eight buckets you were planning to put the story in? Or did that develop as you, like when you're sitting there, well, I want to do this, 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 or did that kind of go kind of a a mixture of as we got more data, oh, I think there's enough information to talk about this now. Yeah, it's both and, you know, I think it was pitched as a 10 part series it went down to eight, then it went down to seven, then it went back up to eight. Yeah. And as that's happening, it the, the episodes are shape-shifting. Right. I mean, it's almost upset. Like it's darling in some ways to go back to my original pitch. I mean, it's so shallow. Like right. I really didn't even know that I'd ever talked to cheerleaders yeah. because they were, they, were, they were so hard to get a hold of in the beginning yeah. that the whole thing was conceived as like the cheerleaders' cultural impact. So I've got like entire episodes about hair Mm-hmm. Um, cause I thought it would be an interesting way to talk about race, which it is yep. but like whole episode about hair is sort of not what we ended up doing. Right. Um, we ended up going, we, we understood the first three, three episodes are kind of like your first introduction to what this organization is. They, they work yep. as a unit and they're all the late seventies. And then other than that, each episode kind of goes over a decade, mm-hmm. goes across a decade. And ta- excuse me, yeah. I smoke too much. And, um, and it tackles a theme, you know, and, and, and those shape shifted again, you know, I, I, for a while, it was very hard for me to sell them on the idea that we should cover the reality show because we didn't really have a lot of material on it. And there was so much already out there, but I felt like it was the central idea of the last episode. And I think it was Patrick's idea to use Noah, the male uh, DCC hopeful who wanted to be on the squad as the way into that story so that you got right. a little bit more of an unusual tale. Yeah. Cause you know, my background, you know, I, I was, I didn't move to Dallas till 86, uh, grew up in Louisiana, moved around a lot. My dad was in the army. And yeah. so, uh, I kind of made a joke that, Oh, I've lived in Dallas now. I guess I can be a Dallas Cowboy fan. Right. Because I, I was never a big sports fan. My family did not care about sports whatsoever. And I, I had had friends that mocked people that if you ask them, who's your favorite team, Oh, who won the Super Bowl last year? Oh, that's my favorite team. You know, who Mm -hmm. won the NBA championship? Oh, that's my favorite team. I said, so gosh, I live in Dallas. I could actually become a Cowboy fan. And then I know this is an exaggeration, but there's so much truth in it. You don't understand how big a deal the Dallas Cowboys Mm -hmm. are till you live in this damn city. Mm -hmm. I mean, it is everywhere. Monday mornings after a game, the mood can change on whether they won or lost. And so all of a sudden I got swept into this. And um, I I tell the story often when we're talking about this, my son's now 32, but when he was three or four, the, it was the NFC championship game where a 
Barry Switzer's first year, they were down three touchdowns to nothing, like within the first five minutes. And my son, who's four, just starts crying because he, you know, he had just gotten conscious a little bit enough during the Super Bowl era. And he's like, I can't believe they're going to lose And He's just crying. And my wife looks over at me and like, you did this. This is your fault. Well, now then, you know, at 32, ever since he's graduated from college, no matter he he's lived in Dallas on Friday, he comes to the house. He spends all weekend with us. And on Sunday, we're all there in the game. And then on Monday, he goes back to his his apartment so that we can do the cowboy game together. It's that big of a deal. And I, I just it to. So I had this casual knowledge of, oh, yeah, they're beautiful. And I I fell in love with the poster. You know, I graduated high school in 1977. I remember that, you know, it, that iconic poster. Yeah. And um, and I the first time I became aware is during the strike when the NFL and they started talking about the mm-hmm. Dallas Morning News. It's a story about that these players were suing for, for more money. And the cheerleaders got 15 bucks a game mm-hmm. that if someone should be striking and I went, really, that's all they get. Yeah. I think I remember that piece too, because they interviewed a leader named um, Terry Richardson Yeah, and she says, you know, we're not in this for the money. We do this for love. So I, I told you I was going to ask this question and I promised listeners we're going to get to music in a minute we have a lot to talk mm-hmm. about but um i have i always have problems judging when is someone passionate and when mm. are they crazy like yeah. they're like oh this person is pursuing their dream they're going to be a actor they are going to be a writer and they've written you know they've they've gotten 24 rejection letters i mean brad Meltzer talks about that you know he his first novel was directed i can't get the number like there's only 24 publishers and he was you know 26 times rejected that's right two publishers rejected me twice when do you go between you are inspired or you just you know do you need to give it up and i i find that the amount of crap they have to take you just go is is this good i mean it it, it i'm not judging them i'm just going i don't know if i would put that much crap i would put that much well, effort can i ask you a question stuff. why is it why is it your job to say whether it's good or not it is totally not it is totally not i i guess and i i love that the idea is i'm i don't understand that drive that's yeah. that's what I that's what okay. that's what gets me right. That well, well, let me help you. Let me help Please. you because I've spent a lot of time with this. So yeah. first of all, um, a lot of these women are dancers, and there's not much of a forum for dance in America. Yeah, but especially in Dallas, Texas. Okay, if you would like to have that kind of career, it's almost maybe cruise ships. I, I, yeah. I don't even know what you would do. So, you know, think about like, like in a lot of ways, this is just a corollary to someone playing sports in high school yeah. and wanting to continue on in sports. Okay. It just so happens that that makes sense when sports is very lucrative. This is not very lucrative, but at the same time, there's not a lot of forums. 
Then you combine that with the insane status of being one of 36 coveted women as one of the 1979 movies about them said the 36 most beautiful women in Texas. We've got a talent contest and a beauty pageant all wrapped up in one. Now that's, and that's like, uh, I always think about like, why are women on the bachelor? And it's like, cause honestly, people just want to win. Like, you're just yeah. sort of curious. Like maybe I'll win. Like people told me that. Yeah. So there's that. Then a lot of these women love football. They grew up in football families. Yeah. Um, they not all of them are from Dallas, but most of them had dads that watched the game and where a little girl sees herself on that field is on the sidelines with those cheerleaders and you have a dream. I mean, I had it too. I'm going to be one of them. I'm going to, on some primal levels, like I'm going to matter to my dad. I'm going to enter. And so many of these girls say like, I'm going to make my dad proud because dads, like there's all this messed up sexualization stuff that goes on with the cheerleaders. And we could talk about that. The podcast covers it, but like dads as a general rule, especially like Dallas Cowboys dads, are like super proud of their daughter being in there. And that is gold to a lot of these women who, you know, all of us have complicated relationships with our fathers and the ability to like have a a parent say like, you have made me so proud uh, is, is worth its weight in gold. And then I think you have to imagine like one of the things that all the, the, almost to a person, every cheerleader described the exhilaration of game day. And it's such a cliche but we have to think about the fact that energy creates like, like humans in one area create energy. And when you're a cheerleader, you're standing in the blast field of that energy. And you're feeling something you might not ever feel in your life. You wouldn't feel outside of maybe being Steve Perry and journey. Yeah. A hundred thousand people roaring. And what's so interesting is a lot of these women would not have done this if they had to have their name on the back of their jersey or they, they're not the spotlight. They like the anonymity of there's 36 of you. You don't necessarily stand out. You're performing, but you're all performing as a unit. So you have the sisterhood. So it's not like Bruce Springsteen who's out there and is either going to like make it or break it. Yeah. It's the backing band. That gets to yeah. the blast of energy that is Bruce Springsteen without quite the pressure of stardom. You know, and, and as you're talking about this, I'm I'm going to call BS on myself mm-hmm. because if someone has the dream to um, get a Olympic gold medal in archery or shooting that there are not a lot of professional archers out there, right? Right. Like, how are you going to do this, you know, as a living, this is what your passion is. You know, uh, we don't sit there and go, well, gosh, why are you going through all that? No, you're going to, because you can get a gold medal. You, you want to represent your country and also represent yourself. Uh, The way you're explaining this, it's the same similar goal. This is, Mm -hmm. this is being the best of the best in this. And so I'm going to, do what I need to do to get that status. Well, that's exactly right. And, you know, for better or worse, America is set up 
as a place where people pursue their dreams. It's part of our grand mythology. Right. And it is always surprising to me when somebody turns to someone else and says, but your dream sucks. Right. And I'm not saying I haven't done it or said it or thought it before, but I do see that happening a lot here. I always feel mixed about the reaction to the $15 a game. It's of course, absolutely outrageous and actually probably criminal um, under the fair labor standards act, but, uh, or illegal, I should say. Um, But but I get mixed on it because it's also, there's this other part of me that's like, my gosh, don't we all do things we love for no money? And isn't it a little bit lame that we have to monetize everything in order to assess its value? And the thing is, is that like, it really upsets me when I see uh, bloggers and journalists dogging on the cheerleaders for their pay when I know very well those bloggers and journalists are getting financially exploited by their publications themselves and they're not standing up for it they're not saying anything about it but you know but they're pointing the finger at these women who they can post little pictures of you know in like they don't even like they're totally blithely indifferent to this as though they don't know better than anybody what's going on here so I I get a little bit defensive of the cheerleaders well no and 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 I like as someone I I know that I will interview I will do two to three interviews a week for this podcast and I make no money on this thing at all I, I right. do it because I love talking to people I love hearing their stories whether they're a huge electric light orchestra fan whether they're a Springsteen fan whether they're promoting their book their podcast I just like talking to people so this is my hobby the other thing that i you made me think of is um mark evanier is a blogger he he he's he's a writer very successful he was kind of the executive producer for the garfield comics for years um and he talked about he was in vegas years years ago and his friend said hey i have a comp ticket for you but you have to say yes before i give it to you and mark's like what why what do you mean no i just will you go to the show if i get you this free ticket and he goes yeah he says okay it's for barry manilow and he's <laughs> like oh i i don't care i like I, you know i'm fine i go and so he attended the show and he talked to a lot of people talking about how much barry manilow's music is spent to them and he said that other times he had other professional musicians talk about what Bruce, what barry does is easy it's just so easy. And Mark said, what I wanted to say is, you know, I really admire you, Mr. Musician, because if it's that easy, you're you're turning away millions of dollars that you could make because you're too good to do this easy. Yeah. I really admire you for that. Totally. Right. And, and so that the whole um, the idea of doing it for love and doing it for things. And and what makes me mad about the fifteen dollars mm-hmm is is the organization paying them 50 that's what makes me i'm not no that's the disgusting part because they're asked to be starving artists and altruists in the context of a six billion dollar franchise yeah and 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 that's the part that's disgusting it's jerry's Um, fault as i'm wearing my t-shirt oh my god i didn't see your shirt yes yes, it's jerry's fault (laughs) oh god it is i mean you know the truth is a lot of sports journalists that i know love him and they he's he's a he's a amazing american figure yes uh but but my gosh my gosh and i just like the idea 
that, and you cover this so well on the podcast, that, okay, let's say for a while they're, they're doing the games and they do it for the love of the game, that yes, they have to rehearse and they have to go through all this and they get that high of working to the game. And so, yeah, $15 is probably not enough, but they're doing it because they love. Okay, I don't think that's fair, but that's their choice. But then you have a poster that sells millions of dollars. You have calendars that start selling. You have playing cards. And all of a sudden, the it's almost the same thing as college sports makes millions of dollars off these players and if they take you know they can't they don't get anything now that's recently changed right so that's as i was listening to this i was like how the greed that you know and and greed and hypocrisy just really bother me sarah and and so listening to this your story i go you couldn't give them a taste now you make it very clear things have changed now but i mean they were doing uso tours and like yeah they did it because you know they wanted to with the uso tours in particular that is that is often the highlight of a cheerleader's experience you have to understand if you're a small town girl from lindale texas and all of a sudden you've been um uh you're you're on uh, the dmz or you're being helicoptered onto an aircraft carrier um it, it is it is wild and it's the ride of a lifetime and for many of them, it's the highlight of their life. What a so great experience, to, right? Back to the, the merchandising, which I think, you know, the analog that you use of college athletes is so good. So I had a very, like one of my, one of my most deepest relationships that I formed with a cheerleader was with a seventies golden girl named Shannon Baker. Now Shannon Baker Worthman. She's on my poster too. She's okay. right here. I keep her right over my shoulder yelling. And she was the poster girl throughout the 70s she's not in that 77 poster that sold a million copies that's yeah she was sick that day but she's on everything throughout the late 70s and she's the person in their press and you know she was an smu student so they like an honor student so they had her talking to the press and she was a trained ballet dancer so she had they had her doing the flying jump splits and the, she is used for everything and she really just didn't think about it like back then she was like well this is so cool yeah. And it, it, it didn't, it didn't occur to her. And I remember we were sitting in her bedroom and it was just flanked with memorabilia, frisbees, a doll, um, you know, clothing, chewing gum, everything. And she's got it spread out all over the bed. And she's like, I've really been thinking about these college athletes. And I've yeah. really been thinking about my past in a different way. And I, and they used to always, you know, back in her day, every journalist asked her, do you feel sexually exploited? And she was like, no, because she didn't. She yeah. uh, was a great dancer. First of all, the, the uniform was very similar to what she wore as a ballet dancer. It just didn't really strike yeah. her as that. But looking back, she's like, God, I think maybe I was financially exploited. I, I don't want to put words in Shannon's mouth, right. but I mean, she said, you know, basically as much on the podcast. And, and that was so interesting to watch these women, Shannon's in her 60s or early 60s now, you know, looking back at these years when they were, gosh, 18, 19, we called it America's Girls because these women are often very young. They they try out at 18, 19, 20. You think that this woman right here is probably 19 years old. Wow. You, you, you think because of the stature and because you're seeing them on television, 
that, um, oh, they're 25, they're 30. There's like a Miss America thing that they all look 30. No, no, they're really young. And of course it was also about the way that they shaped American girlhood. Um, But, but yeah, like they're so young. And, and I think a lot of them, I don't know how many of them would say they felt sexually exploited. I just didn't hear that many people that did. But the financial piece. Definitely financially exploited. Yeah, I, I think so. All right. A couple of things and then we're going to move on, uh, though. I could talk about this. Um, I sent you a link. There is a um, there is a brilliant documentary all about oh, Bill Finger. That is. Are you good? Yeah, I'm good, but I forgot to watch the trailer. That's okay. That's fine. So the premise is, um, and for those of you guys who haven't seen it, um, Bob Kane is known throughout the world as the creator of Batman. But as you started looking more and more, what Bob Kane was, was the face, and he paid other people. And so a guy named Bill Finger invented Robin. He designed the uniform. He designed the Joker. He did the Batmobile. He did the Batcave. He did everything about this. And Bob Kane was the creator of Batman. Mm -hmm. In fact, all these movies, like when Michael Keaton's movie created by Bob Kane, this, all this great things. And so this documentary covers how, as they started exploring this, that, and there's there's interviews where Bill Finger admits, I mean, Bob Kane admits, oh, yeah, Bill did that part of it, you know, but financially, Bob Kane got all the money. And so there is an episode you have dedicated to who created this iconic uniform, this uniform that is in the Smithsonian, next to Fonzie's leather jacket, next to, you know, uh, Dorothy's ruby slippers. Yeah, I mean, you know, the original Kitty Hawk, you know, plane. I mean, this is the Smithsonian. And I won't give away the episode, but one of the key people who designed it gets no credit, isn't there at, you know, they're not even asking for a taste of the money. It just would be nice to say, and the uh, spoil of the ending, the movie, you know, uh, Batman and Bill, the ending, because Bill Finger had uh, descendants still alive, they were able to sue DC Comics. And now mm. then it says Batman created by Bob Kane and Bill Finger. Mm. So and that was more important to them than even the financial, though, obviously, when you've made billions of dollars off Batman, it is kind of nice. Hearing you tell that story made me think of that because here are people that I'm not saying I want a taste. I just, it would be nice to have credit where credit's due. You know, the the person that you're talking about is the founder of the cheerleaders. She's not just some rando that came up with a uniform. Uh, She's the woman who came up with the entire concept and was also never really given credit for that. Right. I mean, the, the depth to which her history is lost is profound and sickening to me. Um, she is a true inspiration. She's one of my heroes. She was a model, a PhD, a mother, a senior programmer at PBS, an educator who helped to found the first community college here in Dallas, El Centro. Oh, and by the way, she founded the Dallas Cowboys Cheerleaders. 
Oh, and by the way, she's 91 years old and she's total badass. She's a badass, right? Yeah. I just visited her on Saturday. I went out to go see her for the first time since the podcast. Now, you know, one of the things that was hard about that is like, I don't want to say she didn't care. She does care. She did not share my outrage and my gall because to her, it's like she's had a good life. Yeah. And she feels good. And, and, you know, there, there is some controversy over who created that uniform. There's someone else that was given credit that actually had quite a role in it. So nobody was going to fight her on it. Um, and it's just, you know, to the way that D sees it is like, eh, no worries. Uh, you know, I did other things. My impact was elsewhere. And for me, who was the person trying to pin this history down, I, I was like, this episode had me in tears. It had me in, in, in both with both women, with both yeah. women, because I, I, they both got the shaft, right. you know, both women involved in this sort of like, who did the uniform that were both, you know, just you really go back to that era, that pre-feminist era of women's invisible work. And it's just like, Tech Shram was the general manager, the legend, and he gets credit with creating those cheerleaders and creating that team. And by the way, he probably didn't even really think twice about them. Yes. Like he, he had so much going on running that football team. I promise you, he didn't go home and invent cheerleading on the side. Right. Um, it, it's just, it's just, it yeah. was something that was done by the women he had enlisted to try to make a sideline entertainment more exciting. Yeah. And I'm sure he encouraged them to go showbiz because he was showbiz. But right. at the same time, the, the specific ideas that came to sweep the NFL and then sports culture you know, and really change the way women are in sports and television. Like that's all this woman, Deep Rock. Nobody's ever heard of her. Her name is actually Dorothy. <laughs> I just learned that this weekend. I think that's beautiful. Yeah. Dorothy Faye Brock, but she thought D was like a little, like had a little bit more kick. Yeah. And um, I, you know, she's just an exceptional woman. I said to her, uh, I got to say to her a line that I'd written for her. I said she was a woman of the world when the world could be quite small for women. And she smiled and she said, I really like that. <laughs> that is a great line. Um, we're going to move to music, but I did want to know, do you think you're going to go back and revisit with all the things going on? With Hell yeah. Dalrymple? I mean, I've got to like, <laughs> yes. I don't know. We're still figuring out if we're going to do a season two. Um, I really want to. Um, but there's bandwidth both for the production team and for me. Yeah. We've got a lot of things going on and a podcast is an extremely heavy lift. Yes. Uh, the kind of podcast that we do. Um, there are stories that just feel it's like it always felt incomplete to me that we didn't have the current cheerleaders director, Kelly Finglass. Um, she is a fascinating person who has uh, shepherded the cheerleaders for the last 30 years. And she was a fan of the podcast and we were talking over Instagram before that scandal hit and then that scandal hit. And it's like, boy, I mean, I have heard from her, um, basically just to say that she's got other things to work on right now. She's not going to ignore me, but like, maybe we'll talk later, but no time soon. And 
you know, um, I'm, but I'm also go, going deeper on the topics that we covered last time. A lot of this scandal, which if people don't know, basically the head PR guy, it's alleged that he was taking videos of four lead cheerleaders in the locker room at a special event in 2015. Um, one of the women caught him, uh, confronted him. He says, claimed it was an accident. Uh, he says he was in there eight seconds. They say he was in there more like three minutes. This was eventually uh, taken up by an internal investigation and they ended in a settlement that was $2.4 million. The sort of details of which were revealed by the ESPN writer, Don Van Natta Jr., a Pulitzer Prize winning, total badass, an absolute gentleman. I say that because I, I now talk to him quite a bit because yeah. we, you know, we have such, uh, we're working similar territory. And um, he dropped that piece a couple of weeks ago. And it's, I think it's the first of several shoes that are gonna drop for the Cowboys over the years. Um, the Cowboys have always been seen as bulletproof. I guess we'll see if that's true. Yeah, because uh, I know that um, I, I'm a big um, a fan of the ticket and, you know, and the guys are talking about, you know, Jerry Jones never, he never shuts up. He, he is a firm believer. Any publicity is good publicity and he's going to talk and it is all of a sudden there is silence coming from there. And uh, I think it's going to be fascinating um, there, b- before this happened, uh, the head guy that if you've watched a cowboy documentary since Jerry Jones bought the team, you have seen Rich Dalrymple. You have seen him in the background. In fact, my son would say, there's Rich. You know, Rich is going to get his face on that camera and to have him retire a few weeks before this broke with no, just, I've decided to retire. I'm going to go, you know, and no statement from the Cowboys, which none of the, one of the, none of the sports journals really noticed. I don't think they were just so sort of caught up in the wave of unexpected, you know, Oh, this is happening. Nobody really went to look and see if like, Oh, wow. The Cowboys never released a statement. There's nothing on social media. This is super weird. Yes. So and the funny thing about Jerry not speaking right now, you know, I think he declined to go to speak at, to reporters of the NFL draft or something like yeah, that. Like, I'm not... Yeah, no, at, at the combine. He always, okay, yeah, 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 it's the combine. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, what's funny is, you know, first of all, he went on that local radio station to talk about the scandal, which I don't know. It seems like a violation of the NDA that he signed yes, over that scandal, exactly. as far yes. as I can tell. A, and then B, his main cleaner upper was Rich Dalrymple and Rich yeah. is gone. So it's like, you got to like put the muzzle on Jerry Jones. Well, like, and, and I think, I, I don't know if it was with when uh, the ESPN writer was on the ticket or with you with Mike, but you know, um, I know it had to be the ticket because the writer was talking about that one of the best known media, you know, cleanup guys was contacting him going, Hey, I'm representing the Cowboys. When you're ready to talk, I'm ready to talk. And, uh, you know, they made the joke and me and our friends too, like, you know, the Cowboys have that guy on speed dial, right? Like, like if he is not given a, like, uh, like, Oh, we're just going to give you X amount of money, keep you on retainer. Um, I, I, 
as a as a fan of the Cowboys, I, I'm wishing the best. But at the same time, as someone that there is this hypocrisy and this the the rich gets richer and the others don't. I, I'm hoping I'm looking forward to seeing and I am locked in. If it's season two, I am ready. I have not watched one moment of the reality show. I, I don't I don't watch much reality. I not that I'm a snob because I watch a lot of bubblegum TV and, and a lot of science fiction and a lot of, you know, I, I love, I love pop culture, just have never been a reality TV person. Mm-hmm. And so I, I kind of knew there was a show about the Cowboy cheerleaders, but it's just not in my range. And to hear this, it, it just was fascinating to hear your point. I, I totally America's girls, America's Girls, anywhere you can get a podcast, I promise you, it is as good as any podcast I, I've seen. I, I And there are, like I know, like Rachel Maddow had a podcast a few years ago all about Spiro Agnew and, mm-hmm. and, and you know, and how, you know, the, the whole, you know, his political career, there's been so many other stuff. This is as entertaining a podcast and you will you will be fascinated. So check that out. Okay, we're going to take a break here. This is the end of my first part of the episode with Sarah. Come back tomorrow for a second part where we go into music. Uh, We talk a little bit about her book and her love of Xanadu, the soundtrack. So come back tomorrow. Thanks. This podcast would not be possible without my wonderful group of patrons. I want to send a special thanks to John Munson, Mary Thomas, Terry Smith, Dale Hosick, Andrew Goddard, Stephen Malio, Alex Samada, Anna Lynn, Chris Bloom, Holly Mack, and Captain America, a.k.a. Steve Rogers. Thank you guys for supporting the podcast. Your support means the world to me. And you are forever in my heart. You just heard the fun talking, hard rocking, music loving, album ranking, fan thinking, joy spreading, lyric reading, story sharing podcast that is the one, the only, said Listing Bruce. The theme for Set Lessing Bruce was written by David Rosen, used by permission. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. 
Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any fantasy points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. Fantasy Points.